I love hearing those words from Dermot, all the way from Ireland, one of our partners, and we were blessed to be able to send a team last June and to send another team coming up um, in 2017 to be part of what he is doing there. And as you heard him describe, Limerick is a very, very dark city. They have had such a history that it's gotten to the point where to even be someone who communicates the hope of the gospel or to have a church gathering like that. It's a very difficult thing. And so for, to hear him talk about peace really resonates um, in the midst of the dark place that he is trying to reach. And so it's awesome. You know, when he talked about peace, it made me think about the Christmas season because a lot of you may have walked in here today and you are yet to feel peaceful, right? We've got seven days, the countdown. It's just shrinking like this. It's just... Now you're really up. You're going to get up and leave and go shop or do something like that. I think part of it is that sometimes the Christmas season gets so complicated, right? It gets complicated. So I made a determination. Actually, I didn't really make a determination. It kind of happened unintentionally. But I just, I've just decided to uncomplicate the holiday season. So I'm going to help you out now, which is seven days left. It actually started the day after Thanksgiving when we typically put up our Christmas decor and, and all of that in our house. And so we started dragging it in from where it was stored. And we had a, a pre-lit, one of those Costco pre-lit Christmas trees. They're, they're awesome. We've had it for about four or five years. And, you know, you're just supposed to be able to just stick that thing together and fire it up. Well, a few years ago, you know, half the lights stopped working. So I did what a lot of you have done is I just went to Walmart and grabbed some cheap lights and just threw it over the top. And then every year we just added Add more light. You never take the lights off. You just add more lights. So this thing's just weighted down and the limbs are starting to break. But what happens is when we get ready to take this stuff down, like a year ago, you just cram it back in the box, right? And you just tape it up and you say, I'll worry about it, you know, 11 months from now. When I opened that box, I looked at that thing and I thought, I'm done. This looks way too complicated. The limbs don't go together. The lights don't work. And so I did what I thought was a very uncomplicated thing. I said, let's go to Lowe's. We are buying a real tree. And so we went over on Saturday, and we went real. It got real, all right? Now, some of you think, oh, that's something. No, no. I've decided that a real tree is actually less complicated than these artificial things that only work for one year, and then they're toasty, all right? Because this one, I'm just going to take it and throw it out by the curb when I'm done. I don't even have to store the thing. Uncomplicated. After we put our tree up, my wife started telling me, like, hey, you really need to get the lights on the house because the neighbors are doing their thing, right? And we've got the icicle lights. Some of you are icicle people. Some of you know what I'm talking about, you know. And so every year I get the ladder out. And the first thing you've got to do is actually plug the lights in and test them, correct? Right? And they never work, so you've got to buy more. And the fuses, the stores, don't hold, they don't carry them. Right, so you, so you, they just don't work. So I just, I'm just regretting. I'm like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. She keeps asking me. And then one night, still haven't got the lights up. We're like cruising Home Depot. How many guys in the room know that Home Depot is like the dude's target? It's like awesome, right? So we're cruising Home Depot, and I'm, I go by this end cap, and my wife taps me, and we look, and then we keep going. I'm like, nah, 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 and then we back up, and we look. And on the end cap, I throw it in the cart, and it's like, boom, star shower right here. All right. This thing's awesome, right? Some of you have seen them, right? And I, $49.99, it was worth every dime I paid for this thing, all right? Because I got home, and I opened it up, and guess what happened? Look, you pull it out. 
you stick it in the lawn, you run one cord, you got a laser light show all over your house that makes the neighbors jealous. All right? Now, some of you, some of you are hating right now because you're like disgusted by my lack of Christmas cheer. Well, listen to me. I'm disgusted by the fact that after New Year's, you're going to be on your ladder. You're going to be pulling your lights. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this. Right? I'm just going to go like this. I'm going to go like this. And I'm done. Right? Uncomplicated. So hate on that. Now, here's the truth. The complications of the holiday season stretch way beyond laser lights and Christmas trees, right? For a lot of us, it brings complications in much more serious ways. Every year when the holiday rolls around, we're reminded of maybe the complication of broken relationships or the complication of unmet expectation or the complication of loved ones who will no longer be with us. The thing that creates this tension at Christmas is this, is that Christmas exaggerates all the bad, while at the same time, it points us towards something that is absolutely awesome. It's the most wonderful time of the year, but at Christmas, we're also reminded of problems that we can't just seem to solve, people that we can't control. And expectations that we just can't seem to meet. And the truth is, if we actually looked in the mirror, we might have to admit that I'm the problem that can't be solved. That I'm the person that can't be controlled. That I'm the person setting expectations that other people just can't seem to meet. It's what makes it complicated. But Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year because of what is happening. We know this. It's the most wonderful time of the year because of what happened, right? Because at Christmas, we celebrate an event that changed everything. No matter what complications, what circumstances you may have dragged into this room today, Christmas is a constant reminder that God sent his son into this world. He sent his son into our world to be the center of your life and to be the center of my life. Now, you probably know this, but in the New Testament, the very beginning, there are four gospels. There are four accounts of Jesus' life. And we're going to be looking at two of them today. So if you got your smartphone or you got your Bible, we're going to be looking at the gospel of John. And we're also going to be looking at the gospel of Matthew. Now, here's the deal. When it comes to the Christmas, the birth narrative that talking about when Jesus was born, Matthew and Luke, they cover it, right? And we're going to be looking at Matthew today. Luke, you lose. You're not, we're not looking at Luke today, all right? And then, and then Mark, which we're going to be jumping into in just a few weeks in the new year, we're going to be looking for 14, 15 weeks all the way through the Gospel of Mark. He just jumps in the middle of the story. He doesn't even cover the birth thing at all. But John, John does something from a unique and a significant perspective that I think is important for us in a starting place today. The thing that is really significant about and fascinating about the Gospel of John is that when he wrote it, he was actually a very old man. He was an old dude. And it was likely, it's thought by, by scholars, that this Gospel is actually the very latest that was written. He probably realized as he aged and as he got older that he needed to write down these stories because he didn't have a lot of time and he wanted future generations like ours to have them. And these are accounts, as we read, that he surely had told many times verbally. I mean, if you had, act like John, if you had actually sat at the feet of Jesus, right, 
And then you're like walking around with people who are committing their lives to Christ and their followers of Christ. They would want to talk to you, right? They would want to hear your stories about sitting there when Jesus was teaching and about watching as Jesus was doing all of these miracles. And the thing that is so amazing is that John is going to write to us after all these years. And as an old man, and all that life has brought him, and all the complications, and all the things that he's experienced, he's going to write this, and he is still convinced of who Jesus was, despite everything he had seen and experienced. He had experienced loss that was beyond what you and I could probably imagine. He lost friends because of his faith. He lost family members. He actually had lost basically his entire culture. He was alive when Nero terrified Galilee. And he swooped in with his armies and they came down and thousands of Jews were killed. And they sent thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of Jews into slavery in Rome. John lived through all of that. By the time he wrote this, his friend Peter and his friend Paul had been executed. And through all of this loss and all of this bloodshed and all of this chaos, stuff that we can hardly imagine, John never lost his faith. So when he begins his narrative, he doesn't begin with the story of Jesus' birth. Now, that's interesting because we know when Jesus was on the cross and he was dying, he looked down at John and he said, this is my mother Mary she is now going to be your mother. It's like she's going to be your mother. And he looked at Mary and said, this is John. He's going to be like your son. So we know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and John, who we're about to read, spent a lot of time together. So if anyone knew the details of what took place in Bethlehem, it would have been John. If anyone heard the story over and over again, it would have been John. If anyone had the opportunity to ask Mary what it was like when she discovered that she was pregnant, it would have been John. What was it like, Mary, when the angel appeared? Mary, what was it like to know that you were about to give birth to the Son of God? And yet, having all that knowledge, he doesn't start there in his story. He doesn't begin with a manger or shepherds or Herod or Egypt. He begins with simply this with the significance of the birth of Jesus. And though you and I may feel like, legitimately so, that we are perhaps living through some dark days, there was also some very, very dark days when John wrote this gospel. And he begins his gospel this way. In verse 4 of John chapter 1, he describes Jesus and he says this, In him was life. In him was life, and that life was the light of, and this is important to underline, of all mankind. Stop there for a second, because what you have to understand is prior to this, those who lived in that region kind of were looking for a regional messiah. They thought that a savior was going to come that was going to be political, was going to rescue them, was going to change that area and the, and the circumstances that they were living in. But over time, John obviously realized that Jesus' influence and that God sending his son was not just for the Jews and it was not just for the nation of Israel, but it was for everyone. It was for all mankind that he was to be a light to all. And then he says this in verse 5. That light, the light, shines in the darkness. And I, 
I have to wonder if he, if he wrote that and then he had to kind of set his pen down and sit back. And he had to think about all the darkness that he experienced, all the persecution, all of the, the loss that we discussed. But then he says, despite all that has happened, I, I call it John's despite faith. We all, even, we all need a little bit of despite faith, right? It's like, this has happened, but despite that, I have faith. He says, despite all that has happened, despite all my life lost, despite all that is around me, he says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, and he pauses for a second because the culture tries, the darkness of our culture tries to snuff out the light. It tries to blow out the light. It tries to press away the light. And John says, the darkness has not, and he chooses this word, overcome it. The darkness has not been able to stop the light. This is a man that got the news that the Apostle Paul had been executed. This is a man whose friend Peter had been executed. At this point, he's probably the last apostle alive. And despite all that, he wrote that the darkness has not overwhelmed it. Herod couldn't do it. Caesar couldn't do it. Tiberius couldn't do it. Nero couldn't do it. This was John, who is absolutely convinced that no matter how complicated your life may be, no matter what we face in this life, how deep the heartache, no matter how extreme the fear, or how deep our depression, there is a light that shines in the darkness, and no amount of darkness can put it out. So you can just get up and leave because that's awesome. Don't leave. No amount of darkness, no amount can push down the light. None of it. And John is convinced at an older age, despite everything experienced, that that is truth. And so it's extremely important for us to carry that into the season and beyond. And here's why. Because light was an important part of all of God's story. We read the significance and the metaphor of light playing out. We read in Genesis all the way in the beginning. What's the first, one of the first things we see God doing? It says, in the beginning, God separated the light from the darkness, right? Right off the bat. And then in Exodus, when we read the story of Moses and the deliverance of the children of Israel from Pharaoh and the Egyptians, it says when they're wandering around and they're in the dark and they're not even really, really clear on where God is leading them, God sent a light in the darkness every night to guide them forward into the wilderness. And then even in the Christmas story, we have the presence of light. This is where we jump from John's account to Matthew chapter 2. And this is a story that's going to be very familiar to you. We, we talk about this. You see it in the nativities that sit on your, on your counter. We write songs about it. This is a story where Matthew says that the magi from the east came. And we read that. We call them wise men. But actually, they were probably more like priests. They were very learned men. They were very educated. They were scientifically educated. And they also were, were religiously executed. Um, educated. They knew that the prophecies, they knew the predictions that someday there would be a Messiah, there would be a Savior sent from God, and that there would be a star or a light that would appear, that would indicate this was a signal that this would happen. And so that's what they were, that's what they were looking for. And Matthew tells us that a star came and they decided we're headed out. And so they went on this long journey from the east. But here's what we miss in the story sometimes is that the star led them all the way to Jerusalem. Okay? Sometimes we fast forward the Magi to Bethlehem. That's not how the story goes. They go to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is about six miles 
from Bethlehem, which seems like you're like, they got pretty close. Oh, really? So if I told you my house is about six miles this direction, go find it. It's a little tricky, right? And in those days, six miles equaled a lot more terrain to cover. But what we don't notice is when they got to Jerusalem, somehow it's inferred in the story that the star that was guiding them was gone. And so they were there in the darkness of that moment. And they arrive in Jerusalem and they do what most of us would have done. They start asking around. They start knocking on doors. And they say this in Matthew chapter 2. It says, they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they start saying, listen, we saw a star. It led us here. We don't know where the star went. We're here in Jerusalem. Where's this Messiah? Where's the king of the Jews? Because we're here. Now, as they're going around asking questions, at some point they had to get a little bit discouraged, maybe even a little bit fearful. We don't know how long they were in Jerusalem, but what they probably noticed right off the bat is no one else was looking for the Messiah. No one else had noticed the star that had led them all the way from a distant place that had to make them start thinking. Because when we discover light and then the light goes out or seems to be gone, we start to think, maybe I missed something. Maybe I didn't read the signals correctly. Maybe I went in the wrong direction. Some of you experienced that metaphorically in your life where you thought, I'm just following the light, following the light, following the light. And then it gets dark for a bit and you go, man, I don't know. That's where these guys were, the Magi. Well, eventually, Herod hears that these guys are wandering around. And verse 3 tells us that when Herod heard that they were there, he got disturbed. And when Herod was disturbed, the entire city was disturbed. So Matthew says, all of Jerusalem with him. Wow. We learned the last couple weeks that Herod was not a great dude. But he was curious because here's these guys saying, there's a king that's been born. And Herod's like, well, I'm the king, so I want to know who this king is. And so he calls his wise men and he says, what do you guys know about this Jewish king? And they say, well, the Jewish scripture, the prophecies say that he's going to be born in Bethlehem about six miles from here. And so then Herod calls these guys the Magi. And they've got to be shaken a little bit. They're they're not sure why are we in front of Herod. Maybe this whole thing's a mess. Why did we come? Why did we follow the light? The light's gone. We don't know where we're going. And Herod calls him in and says, listen, let me help you out a little bit. The prophecy says that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So why don't you head to Bethlehem? And when you find the child, come and let me, tell me where he is and I will go and worship him. We all know what Herod's intent was. Well, here's what happens. It says in verse 10, the guy said, cool. They go outside and it basically sums it up this way, that the star appeared again. It says, then they saw the star again and they were overjoyed. And they followed it to Bethlehem. And the story we're all familiar with is they go to the house and the child is there and Mary and Joseph. And they come in and they've got the gifts and they present the gifts to the child. We love that. It's awesome. But I was struck this week by that gap that sometimes I think we blow right through when we talk about the Christmas story. That there was a gap of time, we don't know how long, where these magi were wandering around in the dark. And they had no idea what was going on. They're wandering around Jerusalem, wondering what direction they should go. They've lost the light they were following. 
You and I know that, especially this time of year, there are people around you that feel the exact same way. Right? They feel that way. Those around you who are walking in darkness. Maybe at some point in their life they've experienced what, what John talked about. They've experienced the light of life. But now, because of life or complications or whatever, it's sort of gone out or they've abandoned it or it's been forgotten. And they've lost their way. And as we approach another Christmas... They may, be, they may be in that period where they need to, the light to show up again. Right? So that they can be overjoyed. You know what overjoyed means? It's like when you got that strand of lights and they're not working and you're pressing on every bulb trying to find the one that's shortened it out. You've done it five or six times and you're about to just throw this thing across the room. And you press that one bulb that one last time and the connection hits and the whole strand lights up. You are overjoyed. When the light comes back on, you're overjoyed. And there's a lot of people that we're going to mingle with this week that you're going to go to work and work next to. There are a lot of people you're going to go to school next to. There are a lot of people in your neighborhood you're going to take a walk and, and bump into that they need to be overjoyed again. They need the light to return. And guess what? This is our role. That's what's interesting. That as we have experienced the light, that we are to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. I won't sing it, all right? But we are. That as we have experienced the light of light, and it has come to us, that our responsibility, Jesus says, is that we are to begin to reflect that same light out into others. So let me put a capstone on this series and tag on to what Shane has been teaching the last couple weeks. As he's, as he's taught us this, as we've learned this together. The baby who came to be with you became the man who died for you so that what? His light can shine through you. The baby who came to be with you became the man who died for you, and we're grateful for that. But it's so his light can shine through you. This little baby born in Bethlehem that we set aside this whole period of time to worship and to remember Jesus himself takes this metaphor a little further and he says something very interesting about you and me. And Matthew, who just told us this story of the Magi, tells us about it. In chapter 5, he tells us that Jesus describes us this way. This is the words of Jesus. He says, you are the light of the world. Right? Because my light has become a part of you and you are now a carrier of that. That you are the light of the world. And he says a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Big city, it's up there, everybody sees it. He says, it cannot be hidden. Your life should not be tucked away. Your life matters. You can't just go, I'm good, I got the light, leave me alone. Now some of us were like that. I, I'm like that on airplanes. I don't know how you are on airplanes. You might be one of those people, don't sit next to me. You know, you sit down and say, hey, how are you? Let's have a four-hour conversation. I'm like, nope. I can't get my headphones in fast enough, right? right? And I know, I know, I know. If you've been in church a while, preachers are great like airplane story people, right? It's always like, and I met this person on the plane and I led him to Jesus and we were praying there in the airplane. Not me. I'm a loser, man. I'm like, headphones, sorry, bro, next time, right? Because I don't want to be, I, I just want to get to my destination. I don't want to have a conversation. Now, that may work on airplanes, 
But in life, Jesus says, we are the light of the world. If, if, if there's going to be light, it's going to come through you and I. And he goes on to say this. He says, people don't light a lamp, verse 15, and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In other words, you don't turn on a light in your house and then throw a blanket over it. That's just stupid. And it's a fire hazard. Don't do that. We don't do that. We put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone who comes into the house so we're not stumbling around and fumbling around in the darkness. It gives light to everyone. He says in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your what? Your good deeds. He didn't say so they may see your good theology. So that they may see your good right answers. So that they may see your political point. He said, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We have a purpose, and it's simply to let the light shine through us. So remember this. Do good deeds that point to a great God. You want to uncomplicate Christmas? Do good deeds that point to a great God. Be the light. Because in him, John says, We have the light of all mankind, and the darkness will never overcome it. Not then, not now, not ever. So the question to you and I as we wrap up this series is this. What's it going to look like for you to begin reflecting the God who loves this world? How can you just even start when there's so much darkness around you? What do you do when it feels like the light has disappeared? As we walk into a new year, it's coming. We make new resolves. Maybe we should resolve to reflect. We resolve to reflect, to live out his light in the world. All of us are reflecting something. I've been reading a book recently. I actually recommend it. It's called The Road to Character by an author, a journalist named David Brooks. And right at the beginning of the book, he inter- introduced this idea that's just kind of stuck with me over the last few days and weeks. It's what he calls resume virtues and eulogy virtues. So he talks about character. He describes it this way in his own words. He says, resume resume virtues are the ones you list on your resume. They're the skills that that you bring to a job that contribute to your external success. Eulogy virtues are deeper. They're the virtues that get talked about at your funeral. The ones that exist at the core of your being. Whether you are kind, brave, honest, faithful, in parentheses, whether you were the Light goes on to say whether you actually lived. Most of us would say that eulogy virtues are more important than the resume virtues. But I confess for long stretches of my life, I've spent more time thinking about the latter, the resume ones, than the former, the eulogy ones. And I read that and made me think in the context of being a follower of Christ, am I driven more by eulogy or resume virtues? What is my life reflecting right now? What is your life? Wherever you're sitting in this place, what is it reflecting right now? If we were to put a microscope to your life, what's it all about? What is it that you actually value? What are your priorities? What are the things that drive your life? If you don't know, let's ask your kids. Let's ask your spouse. What's driving you? What would they say? And how might you this Christmas... And how might you this next year allow your life to appropriately reflect the God who sent his son to be the light and is calling you to reflect that light? Where do you start? I'm going to ask you three simple questions. This is where you start, all right? I'm going to ask you this. You answer. 
Yes or no? Do you have things? Do you have things? Yes? Yes. Awesome. Do you know people? Yes. Do you go places? Yes. Then you can be the light. You can be the light. So if you answer yes to those, then the opportunity to simply be the light is this. What has God given you that you can use to reflect his light? What are the resources? What are the things you can be generous with? What are the talents and gifts and skills that you have to use to reflect his life? What has God given you? Or where are you going to be that needs to fill that light? Where are you going to be? What are the locations and the spots and the areas and the specific um, areas that God has placed you, the context of your life that's unique only to you where you can be the life? And finally, who are you going to be with that needs the light? Could start with that server at lunch here in a few minutes. It could be the cashier at Target, the shrine of Target. could be that, right? It could be your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, a roommate, where you say, who are you going to be with that needs this light? And we realize that God has given us a different purpose in living. Now, here's what's awesome. Last few days, I've just been watching like Instagram and Facebook and just so proud of our community as a church because churches can get so inward, right? Like we just come and we get entertained and we get taught and we go on with our lives. One of the things I'm so proud of about the crossing is we have a value that says this is not what we're about, but there's other things. And I've been watching these pictures and some of the ones that Scott showed earlier. Over the last few days, pictures are flashing of people serving at Hope Link and working with kids and our middle schoolers and high schoolers hanging out with kids and throwing a Christmas party and West Care where moms and dads were able to come in and Head Start, able to get gifts for their kids that they may not have been able to provide and just get, makes them a hero and honors them and takes it to another level. I'm just like, that's the light, that's the light. Yesterday, my family and I, we got to serve with some friends of ours who started a small ministry they call Elevate LV. It's really a simple concept. They just have gone in to an area of town, Arville and Pinwood, and they've adopted an apartment complex that's filled with people that are facing a lot of darkness and a lot of challenges of life. And they've gone in there every month and they just throw together a time on a Saturday and encourage kids to get good grades and they share a bit of the gospel. And yesterday, they just threw a Christmas party. We made hot cocoa and Santa showed up and they got a stocking and they got a little bit of light in a place where there's a lot of darkness. A lot of us, we want to do bonfires, man. We want like, we want roaring fires. And God's saying, listen, just throw some sparks. Just throw some sparks of kindness and generosity and love. And you can be the light. And so when John said, he is the light of life, he didn't just leave it there. Because Matthew came along and related the words of Christ to us where he said, you are the light of the world. Take my light and be the light of the world. Even in places where darkness is overwhelming and the light seems to have disappeared. God spoke light into existence. God gave his son to be the light of the world. And God sends us into the same world simply asking us to be what we already are. Light that draws the eyes of the world, not to us, not to the crossing, not to you, but to him. Good deeds that point to a great God. Whoever you're with, wherever you're at, whatever you have, be the light. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, as we are just considering who you are and what you're about and why you came. God, we take on this responsibility. God, I just pray you'd forgive us, God, where we've, where we've covered the light at times, where maybe, God, we, we haven't lit the spark that we should have, God. 
Father, we just pray that things would change. That as this holiday season approaches at full speed, God, that we would look even beyond that to opportunities day to day, moment by moment, where we could reflect your light and be the light of the world that you intended us to be. God, this Christmas, as you came on that night and you were born with that star hovering overhead, God, reflecting your call to us to go into all the world and be the light. God, we want to embrace it. And we do embrace it. We're so grateful for you. We ask these things in your name.